0: Jazz, classical music extraordinaire. How's it going today? It's going fine, Joe Mont Saline. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm well, but I'm even better because we have Zach Harris with us today. Zach, double C, <laughs> with us today. That's
1: right. She's really hung right. up on that double C. am yeah, actually, yeah. I love it. So yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I love it too.
2: Yeah. Guitarists here in the Twin Cities that um, I've been a fan of for uh, many years now and your various projects, and we're going to talk about all that stuff, but we're also going to taste some wine today.
0: And I chose the wine, but Zach gave us some parameters. He said, I like French, red, earthy. Right. I was like, all right, I can't wait to dig deeper into those things. So we brought a wine from the Jura in Eastern France to taste, and we'll... Uh, We'll get to that in a moment, but uh, let's listen to some music. Let's chat music.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, Zach, I mean, I think I first became aware of your solo stuff because your American Reverie album Mm -hmm. from... uh, 2017, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then I was like, oh, wait, you're also the guitarist in this uh, quartet. I really like the Atlantis Quartet. Right. So, um, and then I just started interviewing you for various projects and stuff. And it turns out you've got a new album coming out, which is super awesome. And I just really like your playing. So talk to us about jazz and guitar and and you for a minute, if you would.
0: And and please include in that, why did you not decide to be like a rock star doing power chords? Because that's what a lot of times (laughs) the guitarists do. So how did you decide on jazz, but also, you know, you could have been like a trumpeter if you really loved you. So how did you throw sure. that in there too?
1: Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you, Emily. Uh, <laughs> that are some really nice things uh, to hear. Um, I, I came to jazz pretty late. I came to music pretty late. I didn't start playing anything until I was 16 and I got a guitar. And at first I was just doing Neil Young songs and, you know, playing acoustic. And then I got into a little bit of like, trying to play some Jimi Hendrix. And frankly, I was kind of like a, a deadhead hippie kid in high school and uh, and into college. And it wasn't until I ended up living in Carbondale, Illinois, after some just kind of moving around for a while, uh, and I put together a jam band, and all of the people in the band happened to be in the jazz department at the university there, Southern Illinois University. And so it was kind of through this love of improvised music that I started kind of getting more and more into jazz. And then there was another guitarist in that group, uh, a really great guitarist named Jeff Roney, um, who kind of showed me some things. And I decided, well, I'm living in this college town. I should probably go back to college and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and those guys convinced me to do music. And so I tried out for the jazz band. And, you know, to your point about the power chords, when I auditioned, I remember the the jazz band director, Doc Allison, was like, We don't do those cowboy chords in here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I had no chords. idea what I was doing. And so I was, you know, nineteen twenty at this point. Um and, and then I just started getting into it really, really deep and kind of, I think part of my personality is feeling like I had a, a hill to climb. I went really hard at it and started practicing a lot and um, had some people to help me along the way, show me some good things to do. And you know, that's when I really got into, I had been checking out things like Miles Davis and and Coltrane you know the things everybody knows uh and some other things like Sun Ra and more out kind of stuff but then um that's when I you know got a West Montgomery record and uh was like whoa which one uh Full House which not popular opinion but I think it's actually better than Smoking at the Half Note
2: really yeah
1: Johnny Griffin's on there it's just it's killing record. So I, I actually checked that out from the library and never returned it. So I think it ended up costing me like 120 bucks or something like that. But a lot of late worth fees. It. A
0: lot of late fees. Yeah, That's a lot amazing. of late fees.
1: So... Yeah. So that's kind of how I got into jazz as a guitar player, you know, as opposed to power chords. But I certainly like played around with that stuff early on.
2: Okay. Well, and it turns out, too, that you actually do have a taste for wine. Like you're kind of into doing tastings and and stuff a little bit, right?
1: I mean, you've had a little experience there. Well, that came from uh, after I moved to the Twin Cities in 2005. I started playing at the Riverview Wine Bar uh, with a trio in, I think, 2007. And at that point, I was like, I knew I liked red wine generally better than white. That's not always true now, but at that point, that was the case. And it didn't have to be anything special, you know? I could drink the Barefoot and be just fine with it. And then I started playing this wine bar gig and getting to taste, like, good wine. And, no, you know, I was just talking to my friend Mike last night, and he's like, yeah, can't do that, uh... Can't do that cheap wine anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be super fancy, but I I know what I like at this point from having uh, the opportunity to try a lot of different wines at the at that gig every week for many years.
0: Well, I can't wait to hear more about some of the wines, like some of your favorite grapes when you started out, and you were like, "Well, I I think I like Cab better than Merlot, or something like that," and then now. Where you've, I don't wanna say graduated, but how your flavor profiles and your tastes have, have I don't wanna say advanced either, because then that become makes. Become
2: defined. Yeah. How about become more definable? Because Thank that's you. the thing, you know that you're tasting something you either like or don't like. Like when I first started tasting wine, but I didn't know how to describe it. Mm-hmm. And just the more I tasted it, the more I learned, and I still am learning, obviously, how to describe it. And so I think that's what it's about. It's not like, your tastes grow or any, it's just, you learn the words to use to describe what you're tasting.
0: One of our patrons actually sent us uh, some great feedback saying, oh, listening, you know, to like a lot of different episodes. And it's really fun to hear how Emily's like vocabulary and wine has changed. Yeah, Like you literally at the beginning, you knew what you liked yeah. and what you didn't. And you could, you could talk about wine, but now there's just more of a vocabulary yeah. and probably the same with me for music just nobody decided to tell me about it <laughs> no, that's okay that's all right well should we listen to some music I'm yeah I'm, I'm excited. sorry
2: we were gonna do that and then we didn't so uh so let's go ahead and listen I mean let's listen to something off the new record right away I I I thought I think it's really fun I I did you write all the tunes
1: all the tunes on this one yeah
2: okay yeah because I love your twisty turny fast melody tunes uh, those are really fun Thanks. so But let's start, though, with Apple Jacks.
0: Can we start
1: with that one? Sure, (laughs) yeah.
0: Now, Zach, can I just ask, does this have anything to do with the cereal?
1: (laughs) You know, this song, um, so it's kind of sort of a song for my son, who's four, and uh, we would just listen to different music, you know, when I'd be hanging out with him when he was just a little baby, and he liked things like Bob Marley and... and, uh, just various things like that, but we were listening to Ahmad Jamal and he was getting a real kick out of it. And so it's kind of got that like Ahmad Jamal groove happening to it. And so in a sense, it's a bit of an homage to that. And I went with the AJ and was thinking about what could I do that had like an A and a J? Oh, apple jacks. So I can't say that I've actually eaten apple jacks in years, but
0: I mean, we'd all have rotting teeth if we did. Yeah, I yeah. always like to ask about when I have the opportunity because I think that uh, a lot of times in jazz, the you know the title of a song is is meaningful but you really have to know Mm -hmm. you really have to either look dig deep and find out why or ask the artists themselves because it you know I would who would ever have known that story if you
1: exactly sitting
0: a few feet away that's a great point I like
1: I like titling tunes Mm -hmm. and because you don't have lyrics to kind of you know give meaning to the song so I feel like the title is your opportunity to do that it's not always the case but I definitely think about that quite a bit
0: I mean, it's already a successful tune. Within the first three seconds, I was like, I should pour wine. that there's this adoration for a level of two to three different instruments harmonizing and Mm. roaming around, kind of creating the melody.
1: Yeah, well, with this album, it's kind of an expanded uh, lineup. You know, this this group, Zach Harris group, is generally a quartet with Brian Nichols, Chris Bates, and JT Bates, but sometimes I'll bring in a, a horn So the first record we did has Brandon Wozniak on tenor sax. Um, And then this time I wanted to bring in a second horn. And so we got John Raymond to come play. And when you add, you know, I'm already kind of the melody person, Mm -hmm. and then Nichols doubles me on a lot of things or adds a harmony. On piano. On piano, yep. And then um, when you add two more horns... There's a lot of people playing the melody then, yeah. and and so it's nice to be able to kind of let it diverge a little bit. Um, and some some of those things are written in the in the music, but okay. some of it is just letting those guys do their thing.
2: was texture I mean texture is really great the textures are awesome on this album and um, but I want to taste the wine because she poured it and I can see it and I want to taste it (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: let's let's do that yeah Zach thanks for being with us to scores and pours scores and pours absolutely
1: thank you for having me cheers
0: ooh berries I know, and like real ones, yeah. not fake ones. Yeah, Emily and I have a, a propensity on the show to favor natural wines as opposed to other styles of wine. And so this wine is from a producer that I'll talk about in, in a brief moment, but that's adding no sulfur to the wine. And so there's nothing added, nothing taken away. This is just native yeast to ferment the wine. And when you taste it uh, for the first time, I don't know how how much natural wine you've had, but a lot of times people wonder, A, Like, I don't know if I really like this because it's, it's kind of, it's like kombucha, you know, the first Mm -hmm. time you have a health tonic drink, you're like, I don't know if I like kvass, but then you can't live a day without kvass kind of thing. It's sometimes hard to put adjectives to it right away because there's just like a lot of living smells that we're kind of used to things smelling whiny as opposed to grapey and then all the different derivatives of what grapey can be. So I don't know. What do you think it smells like?
1: Oh, you got to give me a little more time here.
0: Take take your time. You yeah, can the, all, you can the, be, we can be listening to the music, and you can be like, "Black Current," <laughs> and, or, or, or or nothing at all. I don't know.
1: Yeah, see, my vocabulary is is not great. I, I know yeah. what I like. Taste-wise, I can describe a little bit, but um, yeah, not a great vocabulary. And the natural wine thing is something I only just in the last like year started hearing about.
0: And I didn't mean to put you on the spot with uh, what do you think it tastes like, because I personally I'm I'm over the whole adjective train, but we've learned that that's how we talk about wine, right? And mm-hmm. if I say a blackberry, you both know what I mean. Yeah. So you can be like, well, to me, it smells like that or not. The thing about it is, is If Emily says blueberry and I say blackberry, we're not. Neither of us are wrong because smell is subjective. Sure. But if you taste this and you say, "Wow, this grape, the trousseau grape, in this iteration has medium acidity," and we Mm -hmm. we all are on the plane of what medium is. If Emily says no and I say yes, that can be. You can go take a pH stick and that. That is something that can be discerned. Measured, right. Yep, and so I kind of like to just say, "How does the wine make you feel? You know, mm-hmm. do you, does it? Do you feel like it tastes good while we're listening to your music? Do you? Do you are you like, I want a really light white wine because it's eighty-five degrees in the studio? Like, I, well, how does it make you feel?"
1: Okay, so now I'm getting uh, cherries. Is okay. kind of what I taste okay. in there, yeah. um, and. It makes me feel great,
0: yeah. especially
1: because I need a little hair to the dog this morning. So
0: yes, <laughs> love that.
1: Quite dry on the finish.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, because yeah. obviously I can go buy a red French wine easily, and you <laughs> said earthy, and I was like, hmm, I wonder what he means by earthy. Like, can you expand on that? Because I think I know, but usually earthy means different. Like, some people are like, well, I want it to smell like a stable, and other people are like, I want it to smell like mo- like a f- like a forest. And, and so it's sort of or i want it to smell like soil and they mean like minerally so yeah, what yeah. do you Yeah.
1: Well i kind of like all of those things. Okay. Um, i like that barnyard wine, mm-hmm. you know, where <laughs> yeah. it does smell like a stable. That's mm-hmm. great, especially i'm vegan now or you know, mostly vegan, but that with some funky cheese was like Nice. <laughs> A great, great evening. Um, so I like that, but you know I like a lot of uh, GSM blends.
0: Okay, Grenache, Syrah, Mourvedre. Mm-hmm. for those of you listening.
1: Which I got hip to from one of the people at the wine bar kind of telling me about it and yeah. having me try it. I was like, oh, yeah, I like that. So I like those. Uh, Cote de Rhone's, anything in that zone. Uh, I'm fortunate to have a brother-in-law and his next-door neighbor who are into wine. And okay. so I've gotten to have some... Uh, Chateauneuf de Pops, which are pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. For somebody who can't afford them, really.
0: Yeah, Chateauneuf de uh, Pops used to be affordable back in like 1999, and then all of a sudden 2003 hit. It was a really hot vintage. They all got 100 points, and now they're never less than $100, pretty much. So yeah, thanks, yeah. Robert Parker. Keep he yeah. going. He's a critic. We won't even go there.
1: I I know Robert Parker. Okay. Yeah. You know him well. Uh, no yeah i I know a story. My wife and I went to Sonoma several years ago and we met a winemaker from Europe at our hotel and he told us about I wish I could remember the vineyard now, but he told us about uh somebody there that they were they had just gone to who had basically like told Robert Parker to to Okay. Yeah. Um, despite getting like a great rating from him, but he mm. basically was like, this is bullshit. I'm just going to do my own kind of wine that I like to make. And cool. we went there and it was amazing. So I'll try and I'll, I'm on the email list. So I'll, i out to know who it
0: is. Who it yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, should we get back to, I'll, I'll talk more about the wine, but I'm curious, I want to hear more music. I've been listening to it uh, f- for the last couple days and then uh, a lot in the last 24 hours. And so I'd love to just hear your thoughts on. Mm more more music. What are we listening to next, Emily?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, just tell us a little bit about, you know, making the record, and you said you're usually a quartet. It's funny, when, um, when I started listening, for some reason, I was expecting a trio album, and so mm. when I heard the horns and the piano, I was like, oh, shit, this is like, there's more texture here than, or a different, I guess, different texture here. So, you know, where'd the idea come from, and when did you start writing the music for it?
1: So the idea for this group came, I I think we started playing together around 2009. And one of the bands I love the most is like the 1960s Miles Quintet. And when I would hear Brian Nichols and the Bates Brothers play together... It's like that's the sound that those guys get and by no means do i see myself anywhere close to like achieving what miles did you know <laughs> but i like that vibe um that kind of like i don't know um a loud chaos or something <laughs> Everything can take a turn, and and that definitely happens in this band a lot. So I wanted to play with those guys and try to write some music for that. And we put out a record in 2012 uh, called The Garden, and basically I've been trying to make a second record ever since, but... Kids got in the way. I mean, not in the way, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. they just complicate things and take up time, and also are very inspiring. So the the songs on this record have been written over that period of time that I've been a father, basically, since shortly after that last album in 2012. Well, that yeah. speaks
0: that speaks beautifully to kids. It just a loud chaos. Yeah. You
2: know, yeah, no doubt. No <laughs> well, in the name of the album too—small wonders, right?
1: Yeah. So when it came time to to you know name the album, especially because I didn't really have it until after COVID started, and then I was very much uh, a dad, you know, full time um, at home with them right. all the time, and and so then I decided I kind of thought about that narrative, like, oh yeah, you know, I guess all these songs have been written over this time that I've, I've been a father, a, a parent. And, you know, I had that song that was kind of for my son. And then the last song on the record is, uh, called Maya Song for my oh, daughter. It's
2: a beautiful song, yeah. Thank you.
1: And so it just made sense to go, to go with that. And I had that cool picture that I had taken of them playing in the snow, which ended up as the album cover. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, in terms of the, the record, adding the horns, I wanted to just, add something a little different you know i don't get to play with two horns very often right and i really love the sound of that and john raymond is from here trumpeter, uh, trumpeter but uh, w- was out in new york for a number of years and has had some really great success with his band real feels and now he's teaching at indiana university and so I've known John for a long time and wanted to add him to the, to the record. And it, it turned out great. And I have to say, um, that Dylan Nah recorded the album at his place out in Arden Hills, Rocket snake records, or I think he calls it. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful studio in a house. And what's funny is we were all like in different rooms basically. Oh, wow. um, and and there's not great sight lines. There's actually like video cameras. Brian was upstairs from us oh, in wow. a room on piano. <laughs> so everything was, I mean, we could see through the video monitors and I was in the same room with JT, everybody, and the horns the drummer, were in the same yeah. room. Yep. But we were just relying on, on listening basically, as opposed to the, the visual thing, which is yeah. a really big part of it. Right. And that kind of changed the the vibe on some things too, which was cool. And I think Dylan did an amazing job. This is the happiest I've ever been with a record that I've done.
0: Oh wow. So So great. Well what are what are we gonna listen to? Well go ahead and put on the first track,
2: you know. It's always the first track is always the first thing you hear. So so yeah. let's hear it and talk
0: about it. I play the bass not well, I pluck strings and so when a album starts out like that, I'm like yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: I love the interplay of the horns, and it's kind of, you know, I would do the fill, and then they they would fill, and they're kind of like this two-headed beast <laughs> when it comes to those uh, kind of fill moments throughout the record yeah. in a lot of spots, and those guys really play nicely together. They haven't played a whole lot, but the yeah. session felt great with the two of yeah. them.
0: I love that you explained how the recording went down, because now I'm imagining most of you, with the exception of you and JT, in separate rooms. You know, well, and the
2: horn players together in one room yeah. too. Or, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you
0: for but still. But everybody kind of feeding off of each other, but very audio audi- or audibly, as opposed to yeah. you know yeah. being able to kind of look and give the nods and do the right. Well, well
2: it- and the way the tunes are composed too. I mean, there are shifting. I mean, they shift. It's not, you know, head solo section head like the olden days, right? Right. So, talk a little bit about that kind of way of composing uh, a piece instead of, you know, doing just head solo head.
1: Yeah. I I like to write um, a lot of tunes in that way, uh, well, this way where it's, you know, this one is pretty open. It's kind of the same thing over and over and the rhythm section just kind of takes it from this lilting thing into just a walk at one point. But a lot of other tunes, it's like there'll be one kind of motif or theme section and then another one, and then it works out nicely to just have one soloist over one section and then another one over the other and and have things be nice and open, and I, I like that.
3: Yeah.
1: I should mention that this... Uh, this tune was actually just like a a line check We were just kind of really? running it To make sure all the levels were good and everything oh, really? And Funny. then Brandon started playing that after the head And we all just were like, oh, let's keep going <laughs> And we got to the end of the tune And I, I kind of wish I had kept it on on here for the recording But I was like, did you get that, Dylan? <laughs> and he's like, yeah And so we kept it
2: We were listening to some Atlantis Quartet uh, the other day, Sharon meal and I just, I said, I have such a musical crush on Brandon Wozniak. It's ridiculous. Join the club. Like, <laughs> it's like, I I love the way he plays.
1: Yeah. And, so melodic and, yeah. and, and just incredible rhythm.
2: And a beautiful sound, too, you know, which yeah. isn't something you say about, I mean... I don't, there are saxophone players I wouldn't say that about that are super Mm -hmm. famous, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's when someone's got all that and the sound too, you're like, wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. Like, you know, I've been great friends with Brandon for a long time. Obviously we've been in Atlanta's quartet for 15 years. He's a pretty quiet guy. I yeah. mean, you can get him talking for sure, but yeah. especially, you know, around people he doesn't know very well, but when he starts playing that horn, yeah. He's got everything to say. It's great. It's amazing.
0: Talking about texture, I, I wanted to ask you both what you think of the texture of this wine because I think that's one of the most fascinating things. Trousseau has a really interesting texture profile that's kind of small. Like it, you don't really have full-bodied, big boy. I mean, you can if it's forced, but like fit, big, full-bodied, boisterous, round trousseau. You don't really have. Um, it fits all in this kind of smaller box. And so I'd love to hear what you both think about the texture.
1: Well, by texture, do you mean kind of the the thickness of the body?
0: Like how does it feel in your mouth? Texture to me is basically, it's structure. So it's, it's how the tannin interplays with the finish and the acid, like acid, how much it makes our mouth water, but also how the fruit feels. Sometimes the fruit can feel like it was pressed too hard. And so it can kind of be a little bit... Bitter. sometimes it can be very velvety, depending on just what we're all picking up. Um, if we've scraped our tongues adequately that morning, kind of thing. So and sometimes I think
2: I can kind of think of it in shapes. When I think mm-hmm. of that, I think of a round wine or a square wine. Mm-hmm. And those are neither of those are negative or positive. They just are what they are. So like this to me isn't very round. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of how I think of it in my head. it's it's much more it's much more structured. And yet, it's still like really fun and fruity and delicious. And I could feel like I could just like chug it.
0: <laughs> you know? Thankfully, it's not in ball chars or we yeah. might do that. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm glad the
2: bottle is slightly out of reach. But
1: yeah, it, to me, it's, um, I can definitely like feel it. You know, it's not, I wouldn't call it velvety. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, you know, we were talking about that Oralex stuff. Yeah. That's kind of the texture I get from it. So
0: sti- so f- foamy for those of you who aren't in the <laughs> in the know about how to pad your walls f- to sound uh make them sound adequate to record, it's like a foam structure. Think of like eggshell foamy
1: things. But The little yeah, the little triangles. I'm um, you know, you started talking yeah. about shapes and yeah. that's kind of it feels like little triangles kind of Flowing across. Oh, I love I
0: love that. I think it's a really fluid wine. I agree with you. I don't think it's velvety necessarily, but it's very fluid and does have these peaks and valleys. So I'll tell you about this producer. This is from a one of the oldest wine estates in the world. And you wouldn't know it because of the label is playful and has this like color cran tractor thingy with a sun and a smiley face, but it's from um, Cave Jean Baudouy, who they've been around in the Jura area, so central east far eastern France, quite close to Switzerland, and they've been around since the 1500s. Wow! And they've been making wine in this area ever since. They have record of all the harvests, and they have a wine library dating back to the 1800s. Some say the 1700s that have been in their cellar and they're like, I saw things with little (laughs) tags, but that they don't tell anybody about because they're actually selling old wine out of their cellar once in a while. So the most recent generation, uh, Jean-Philippe and Jean-Francois, have been making wine basically the same way that their grandfathers and grandmothers and back and back, that they've been... Old oak, sometimes it's up to 80 to 100 year old oak barrels, mm-hmm. all native yeast fermentation. Um, the wines are hardly ever filtered, and they're just amazing representations of where they're from. They make w- red wines out of, you know, Poussard, Trousseau, and Pinot Noir, which mm-hmm. is very classic from the area. And then they make Chardonnay and Sauvignon, not to be confused with Sauvignon Blanc, because Sauvignon is its own grape. Oh, okay. And they've been recently, they started to dabble into biodynamics. And for those of you who we've, we've talked about biodynamic viticulture, you're basically tending to the land in a way that's ultra organic. You're doing things according to the lunar cycle. You're adding all kinds of sprays that come from your vineyard and all these different things. So they started doing that back in 2010, I think, 2012. And now most recently, long-winded, we come to the daughter of Jean-Philippe, his daughter Laura or Laura is starting to make her wine and she's traveled all over the world. She's helped her father and her, her uncle. And she's like, I want to stay here and I want to help you both make wine, but I want to make my own stuff too. So <laughs> Cuvée Chloé is one of her wines. It's a hundred percent Trousseau and her shtick is I'm not adding any sulfur to the wine. Mm. Now her father and her uncle do in modest amounts. And she's like, I want to do it as au naturel as I can and so she makes an orange wine and so white wine with some skin contact and then this red and I'm sure that that will grow organically as her experience grows but her wines are really kind of ethereal and mm-hmm. they have a little bit more kind of energy like alive energy than her uncle and I love her uncle and her father's wines but that's that's what this wine is about 100% trousseau.
1: Huh. what does the sulfur do
0: So sulfur is, it protects the wine. That's first and foremost. Sulfur is an antioxidant. It's also a byproduct of fermentation. Mm -hmm. So all wines are going to have sulfites, but sulfur dioxide is often added at multiple stages during the, you know, when the must is turning into wine, turning into, you know, going through malolactic, pre-bottling. And most producers will add that are in the natural camp will add just a small amount at bottling to protect the wine Mm -hmm. What happens is 98% of producers in the world are adding enough sulfur. Think of it like makeup on someone where you have so much makeup that you can't even tell what someone looks like. A lot of sulfur is used that way. So when you have like natural, uh, just because we talked about it before, Chateauneuf de Pops, and you taste them next to Chateauneuf de Pops that aren't natural, they're really quite different. They have Hmm. similar color and similar aromas, but then all of a sudden there's this wild nature to natural wine that a lot of people like to put at bay with a bit more sulfur. Interesting. Um, and, then, and then you really need to know what you're doing in the cellar to not add any sulfur because that's you're risking right your entire harvest.
1: Right. So to get back to an audio comparison then, so adding sulfur is like compression essentially. essentially yeah. Right? Keeping the peaks and valleys mm-hmm. down a little
0: bit. Compression yeah. and also I would say also to kind of piggyback off of that, it's like auto tuning,
2: mm. right? Auto tuning, mm-hmm. normalizing, all the things that make it predictable yeah. and yeah. easy. Interesting. Easier, yeah.
0: And so, natural wines, a lot of times, they cost a little bit more because there's more risk involved, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. So I like having a little bit of risk, it makes it fun. <laughs> absolutely.
0: <laughs> I think this is a really pretty example. There is a lot of that cherry that you both mentioned, um, really bright fruit, but it also smells like. Grapes, you know, it smells like red grapes. Oh yeah, which I love that. And this is 2020 vintage, so brand new, really fresh, really lively. Mm-hmm. A lot of acid, a lot of tannin too. Surprising. A lot of acid, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, do you mind before if we go back to um, yeah some some older albums? I think that's going to transpire. Do you mind yeah. if I play my favorite track from this one? Oh please, from this album. So I was listening to them um, this morning in order, and then I kind of popped around out of order. To see, I love to listen to albums like that to see how. Um, the order feels to me. And I, I really got hung up on A Beautiful Life in The Void, mm. and I couldn't decide which one I liked better. And I think I listened to them so many times that I kind of got confused with the names, which was fun. Um, so do you mind if I put on The Void?
2: Do it. Please. It's one of my favorites as well. <laughs>
0: feel like it's like someone someone that is sort of like telling you you got to come with you and they're like pulling you up and they're pulling you close enough that you're like <laughs> in step and then all of a sudden it just then someone's like I don't want to do this anymore and they go off their own way I just it, to me it was really visual it was really fun
1: cool yeah yeah this was a tune I don't really want to say that I, I wrote it to have an up-tempo swing tune on here <laughs>
3: yeah
1: <laughs> but I did feel like I wanted something that was just kind of wide open swinging. And I kind of I, I thought about just doing something kind of free. And then I was just kind of messing around and came up with that melody and kind of put the little bass ostinato to it or whatever. And I was like, okay, that'll do. That'll <laughs> nice. That'll be a nice kickoff to get everybody going and and then it's just kind of wide open, you know for the middle seven minutes or whatever it is. Well, and
0: that's what I wanted to ask you because when we were listening to Atlantis Quartet stuff, I was like, how much of this is written and how much of it is improvised? And I'm sure with every track, that's a different percentage. Sure. Um, is there like an average you could give me in, in a <laughs> Well, I
1: mean, you know, j- just in general, the kind of framework of jazz is that there's a melody
3: mm-hmm. with
1: a chord progression. Yep. And then people state that melody, and then improvise over that chord progression, Mm -hmm. and then state the melody again at the end. So in terms of improvised melody, I would say most jazz is 80% that. (laughs) And I I think that this is no different. Just some of these tunes have less chord progressions and are more open or one chord or, you know, I mean, the wonderful thing about all of these musicians but in particular Brian Nichols the piano player he can go anywhere harmonically at any moment and and it's just fun to try Maybe. and roll with it you know and we've played these same tunes in other contexts other gigs and they've gone completely different ways so love that yeah.
2: Yeah, well, uh, you know, I would love to hear some Atlantis, of
1: course.
2: Sure, yeah. Because that quartet is so good. Tell us just a little bit about it, because you guys have been playing together for a long time, too.
1: Yeah, so Atlantis Quartet was really my first kind of notable project after moving here. Uh, When I was living down in Carbondale, I had some success. You know, I had a couple standing jazz gigs, and there weren't a whole lot of jazz musicians down there, so you know, medium-sized fish in a small pond. And then I also toured with this like bluegrass jam band for several years. So then when I moved up here, I was out of my element. I was like, whoa, I don't know anybody. And I don't know any musicians. I was like meeting people on Craigslist and stuff. And uh, I was rehearsing with one of these kind of Groups of people that I had met at this place called Profile Music rehearsal space, and we were playing. And you mentioned, you know, in the emails leading up to this, t- maybe talk about Pat Martino, yeah. <laughs> who was a, a, a big influence on me, um, especially, yeah. yep, great guitarist, uh, especially at that time in my life. And we were we were playing something down, and we decided to take a break and opened the door and Pete Hennig, the drummer in Atlantis Quartet, was standing there with another musician or two that he had been rehearsing with. And they had been just like listening outside the door for five minutes or something like that. And he's, you know, they were like, hey guys, blah, blah, blah. And Pete said, which one of you guys sounds like Pat Martino? (laughs) And that was a moment where You know, in some ways, I was like very flattered. Like, oh, this thing I've been working on—you know—I'm doing it. And then it was also the moment when I realized, like, okay, I got to stop listening to Pat Martino and
3: (laughs) start start
1: trying to sound like me, and you know, listen to a whole bunch of other things. So, we we exchanged information and started playing together. And he had met Brandon Wozniak, who had. Also just moved to town, moved back to town, I should say, after being in New York several years and and, uh, China for six months doing a gig there. And then originally our bassist was a guy named Travis Schilling. And so we started getting together really just to kind of like workshop tunes, you know, that that name Atlantis Quartet, it's kind of goofy, but um, (laughs) it, it came from this idea of like kind of searching for something, you know, we were, we were searching for something and we were just, we got together every week for, you know, months. and continued that really for years. Mm-hmm. And the idea was like, okay, let's write something. Let's each write something and and play it. And so original music and composition was a really important thing for us. And after a couple of years, Travis decided to go a different direction. He was doing a lot of like country band gigs. And and so we brought in Chris Bates and and that was great because Chris brought this just kind of powerful energy and drive to yeah. everything. And so yeah, we've been together 15 years now, have put out five albums, I think. And we're talking right now <laughs> in a post-COVID world, or you know, hopefully at some point a post-COVID world, we're, we're thinking about just dropping all of our tunes and not playing them at all for a while really and just trying to write all new stuff that's not going to be the case for the couple things we have coming up in the next couple months but that's kind of our our plan
0: right now reinvention i think is really important with sure with art, artistry and just the way we're thinking about the world i know the restaurant business for those people that i think are going to really succeed in in 10 to 20 30 years are the people that are going to look at the restaurant in a different way, and mm-hmm. how they treat their staff and what their missions are. So, hats off because that's uh, I think scary as hell to be like, okay, all the songs that everybody knows and loves, or that are sort of what we're known for.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: N- now we, we may sound like that, we may not, or a mixture of, or
1: yeah. I mean, we've always kind of progressed through that. You know, every album, we write new stuff, and but I, I will say that. I think for the last few years, just because we're all, you know, dad jazz now. Uh, <laughs> and, and just in that part of our lives, well, especially Chris has older kids, but Brandon, Pete, and I have young ones. And we're just starting to kind of get out of what uh, one of my brothers in law calls the years of fog. That's like the period that you have any child under the age of five. And uh, we're, we're almost there. So this is kind of more of a radical way that Brandon and I were kind of talking about, about like, let's force ourselves to just like do it, you nice. know? Nice.
0: You know what I think always brings me out of the fog is some red, earthy French wine. Yeah. <laughs> know. You know bring out, out of, <laughs>
1: into, you wanna, into. Exactly.
0: Do you mind topping me off a little? Always the first one to need a top off, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) Ms. Emily (laughs) Reese.
1: What would happen to this wine if it was, the more it like opened up?
0: That's a good question. To this wine specifically, I think it would become more aromatically chiseled. I think we would notice the sort of uh, diffuse quality that it it had in a beautiful way when we're like cherries and... Mm -hmm some earth, but it's all, I I was saying the compact aromatic quality of Trousseau, it would pull the shades from the window a little more. I think it depends on though, there's a time where, and this wine I don't think will do this because the acidity is a certain way, where there was a wine I had last night, I tasted at the wine shop I was working at, and people had opened it at seven o'clock. It was a sparkling wine, no sulfur added from Western France. I didn't taste it when they did, but they said it was gorgeous. Now I went in there at about 7:45, 45 minutes later, tasted it, had a little, you know, a couple sips, and it was mousy. Mm-hmm. It had this fault that sometimes natural wines can have. And so it was like, wow, this is a wine to buy a bottle at a restaurant or and have five people over, everybody drinks a glass and you move on to something else. This I think would be a really fun wine to you know enjoy with a few people but over the course of an evening it would mm-hmm. it would get a little bit more complex and uh, the more we drink the more complex everything gets right so i don't mean it like that but with <laughs> air with air uh, it would get it would get a little bit more defined i think yeah. for sure yeah okay. and i like it do you like it at this temperature cuz sometimes trousseau, people like it with a little hint of a chill by cellar temperature if you will like 58 60 some degrees as opposed to having it room temperature it yeah, can be th- kind of warm yeah this is a
1: little chill right yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you like it I at do, the time? Okay. Especially because it's fairly warm right now. Yeah,
0: it so. de- definitely is. Do yeah. you notice the kind of floral aspects for whatever that, you know, means? It could be roses to Emily and chrysanthemums to you, but do you notice a little bit of more of that, like, you know, when you go to smell a flower, that's just the center of the flower, the little honey aspects, the petals?
1: Yeah, the roses mm-hmm. definitely come through for me. I smell dried flowers though too, a little mm-hmm.
0: bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not as a pejorative. I, th- I get a little penicillin, like I get a little something like a a dusty pill kind of oh, nature, and I don't mean that in a bad way. That's um, actually something that can kind of come from true soap for me, not not for everyone. But I don't know, it's lovely. I'm loving it more and more uh, the more I taste it. I haven't had this yet, so it's
1: yeah, good. this is great.
0: Yeah. Well, let's
2: Atlantis before we do one final cheers. I suppose. Sure.
0: We were having an off-the-record IPA talk. Yeah. So <laughs> why don't we listen to appropriately aggressive pretender? Yes. Oh yeah, that's
2: great. a really good choice. <laughs>
1: loves writing stuff. It's really hard to play on the guitar.
2: Oh, this is Pete. A Pete <laughs> right? tune.
1: This is a Pete tune. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he writes like really cool things, you know. It, it's it's fun.
2: Did Pete write all the parts too or did, did Brandon harmonize or did you harmonize?
1: Uh, Pete wrote the harmony part. Oh, for wow. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Pete's a great composer. He you know, obviously, as a dru- he's a drummer yeah. um, for those listening at home, and so his rhythmic concept is really great. But he also plays banjo, and like oh. quite well. And and so he's got you know the banjo is kind of the perfect melody, harmony, drum, and so he has some pretty interesting ideas that come from that, as well as he. I don't know if he still does, but he used to use like a MIDI. Device to do a lot of composing. Oh, like he interesting! Could okay. Write stuff in there and, yeah. and hear it back, and yeah. so can write some really interesting things. But then when I have to go and play it on the guitar, it's like, God damn
0: it, Pete! <laughs> <laughs> right? Like a, that's cool to know that a, a you know percussionist, a drummer wrote this.
1: Yeah. Well, Pete and I are probably the more prolific of the four of us in the band and then Chris and, and Brandon doesn't write a lot of tunes because he's always writing every time he pu- pulls that horn out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's writing all over these things, So, yep. um, but he's got some great ones like Ballad for Ray and, yeah. you know, it's been really fun to just create this body of work with those.
0: Pretender, why the name?
1: I'm not sure.
0: Besides the fact that someone was maybe drinking Drecker because Drecker yeah. was around.
1: Pete's a little, uh, Pete's a little cryptic about his titles, so. okay. and he, does, he doesn't usually give him, give away the meaning behind them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Emily, do you want to listen to or Zach? Do you want to listen to one more off of this album while we're here?
1: Well, we're sure, it's up to you. you. You guys pick whatever you're into.
2: I mean, I love ligaments, honestly. I I love that first track. Sure. It's really good.
1: Is a tune I wrote. Okay. Yeah. I really
0: like how this is. It really merges that that first how that drum line sounds to me, is more modern. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not it's not jazzy, you know. And then I but then it's all of a sudden we're flowing in that world. Yeah. I I think it's really cool fusion of the two.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I tried to kind of when I was writing this one, there's like that driving section, Mm -hmm. and then this part. I kind of was trying to write with this like stretchy thing in mind and uh, that, that's where the title comes from. Oh, Ligaments, nice. right? And also like I think at the time I wrote this I was dealing with some kind of ligament injury. <laughs>
0: That little snare roll at the at the right time—that's mm-hmm. great. Now, is that something you're writing into the piece, or no, is the drummer—is no. he
1: yeah, placing it, that in
0: there?
1: Yeah, you know. And again, this is kind of a—I think—a broader uh, way that jazz works, for the most part, is that you know, in the case of that song, I basically wrote a melody and chords. That's all that's on the on the chart okay we as a as a band will work out some arrangement things sometimes with with stuff but generally like what the drummer's playing is fits within a time signature and a a a groove or a a style Mm -hmm. i guess but the the little bits and pieces those are all them
0: that's so great
2: the new, okay, the new album, Zach Harris Group. Mm -hmm. It's uh, called Small Wonders. Small Wonders. And it's going to hit the stores as they are. called uh,
1: September 17th, 2021. Sweet. Yeah, very excited about it. Um,
0: So it's a Virgo album.
1: It's a Virgo album. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Just like my daughter. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, available anywhere digitally. You can go to shiftingparadigmrecords.com to uh, order it directly from the label, which is the best way to do it. And yeah, we're going to be doing some touring, playing here in the Twin Cities, obviously. Uh, we've got something lined up at the Dakota. Nice. Fantastic. And then, uh, yeah, we've got some things lined up around the Midwest in October and November. so
0: cool. Very cool.
1: Well, and you know, you also have a Patreon page. I do. Yeah. During COVID, uh, we were talking off mic earlier about how I was getting very into home recording because I needed to make music and I didn't have anybody to make it with. (laughs) And so after doing that, and I actually uh, kind of studied over Zoom with Dylan Nah, who recorded uh, this record. Mm -hmm. and He taught me a lot about mixing and recording techniques. And So after several months of that, I had started kind of recording, writing and recording tunes and uh, decided to do a a Patreon where I'm just kind of putting out tunes that are just exclusively for that. Some of them are like kind of folk tunes that I'm singing. My wife and I sing together, have for years, and uh, some of them are instrumental, some of them are just solo. Ambient kind of things. So, yeah, I've been doing that and some like mini lessons and random stuff on there.
0: Is it patreon.com? Is it backsl- backslash Zach Harris?
1: Yeah. Okay. It is Zach with two C's. Double Zach- C. C.
0: Double C. <laughs> it's true. I'm going to just start calling you that like we're besties. You've just got two L's, like, right? It's true. Yeah. It could be double C uh, and yeah. double L. It's true. <laughs> uh, well, for those of you that are going on patreon.com backslash Zach double C, Harris. Check us out as well on patreon.com slash scores and pours. You can get merch there. You can become a patron. We have different levels where we do patron-only content. We just cooked up some jerk chicken. It was insane. For the some recipe section. Yeah. soaked rice, made a rum cocktail, I seared some of my uh, hand hairs off. <laughs> so go check that out. And we're also on Instagram
1: at Scores and Pores.
0: Zach, are you on Instagram?
1: I am. Yeah. Zdiddy23.
0: Yes. Okay. Go check check him out, Z Diddy Twenty Three, uh, on Instagram. And what else do we got to say? I think that's I think that's I mean, it.
2: Just yeah, to to scores and pours to Zach Harris and some jazz guitar, Lance Cortez. Thanks new for Island sharing the wine. Out. Thanks Cheers. for having me
1: on. Cheers. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of scores and pours with joe mott and emily reese you can find links and information about this episode and support us financially at patreon.com slash scores and pours you'll also find a link to our merch which include hoodies and tees and corkscrews and stickers and the like
2: we're also on instagram and twitter at scores and pours give us a follow check us out and if you have any show ideas or comments or questions you can send us a message on either spot
0: Consider supporting the musicians we featured today by buying their music. Edited by Jill Mott
2: and Emily Reese. Our producer is Sam Keenan. Scores and Pores is a production of June
0: Media Inc. June. June.